the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're always going to have the poor with you. Now, what was he saying? Was he saying, don't care about the least of these? Not at all. Because all throughout his ministry, he had done that. In fact, he says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you're making a difference. Jesus was saying, keep your priorities right. Keep the main thing the main thing. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Whether you're here in the room or joining us online, take out or turn on your copy of God's Word and go to John, the 12th chapter, the 12th chapter of John, and then find some way to record what God says to you today. Whether that's a pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, and a piece of paper, or whether that's your two thumbs and your device in your hand, don't miss the marvel of this moment. Why are we here? Do you ever stop and think about that? There were three sisters. One was 92, the other was 94, the third was 96. They were all widows, and so they were living together in a two-story house. One day, the 96-year-old decided to run herself a bath, but before she could get in the bath, she got a little confused, and so she yelled down to her sisters, I can't remember if I was getting in or if I was getting out of the bath. The 94-year-old sister said, that's okay. I'll be right up and see if I can help you. And so she starts up the stairs, but she gets about halfway, and then she yells down to the other sister, I can't remember if I was going up or if I was coming down the stairs. 92-year-old sister sitting at the kitchen table drinking her coffee, and she says, my goodness, Lord, I hope when I'm as old as they are that my mind is not that bad. And then she just did this. She said, knock on wood. And then she said, I'll be up in just a second. Let me first go see who's at the door. (laughs) Sometimes we forget why we're here. And I have to tell you, as I look at churches across our land, across the world, and in our country alone, hundreds of churches close their doors permanently every month. The reason Mission Hill has two other campuses is because we're desperately trying to come alongside sister churches, neighborhood churches in our community and and not close the doors, but revitalize and breathe life. We've forgotten why we're here. Every time I read a Christian article, I'm reminded of some so-called professing follower of Christ that have said they've walked away from church or they're deconstructing their faith. They don't believe anymore. How do you get there? 
Do we understand what we're supposed to be doing? Do we know why we're here? Are we a social club? Is this a civic organization? Is this just a religious institution that you're supposed to come to on occasion so you can check a box? Is this a a, a big group that, that you just join up with as long as you like the way they do it? And that you go somewhere else or you complain about when when you don't like the way something sounds or you don't feel comfortable? I want us to look at one of the most familiar stories in Scripture. In fact, this is a story that Jesus said would always be told. I mean, now think about that. Jesus Christ said, as long as humans are talking... They're going to talk about this. That's what he said in Matthew 26, verse 13. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, there there are some professing Christ followers that that take the person that's talking about Mary and and they venerate her. They, They put her to a place as if this is all about making people think that Mary is who we should focus on. But that's missing the point here. But Jesus was saying something. I I want you to walk away with this simple truth. The, The Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. And when Christians come together, it should be a gratitude party. Do you understand that? Let me say that again because, man, if you got it, I think you would respond differently. The Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and for what he's done. And when Christians come together, man, we should be having a gratitude party. That's what it should be all about. It seems simple, so let's dig in. This is John 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover. Now, if you're at all a student of the Scripture... You, you got to stop right there and go, whoa, 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 this is a big deal. This is an important time. That, that means you're entering into the last week of Jesus's life. This is his third Passover and it's three years of ministry. So J- John's saying this is the beginning of the end of what you've known. John in the first 10 chapters gives us, really he goes back to pre-creation because he says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. That's how John 1, 1 begins. And then he spends the remaining verses through chapter 10 just helping us get to know Jesus and really the three years of ministry that he has. And then the rest of John from chapter 11 through the end of the book is all about this last week of his life. So six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's where Jesus lived. I'm so excited because we've already planned next May. We're going back to Israel, back to the Holy Land. And and, and just to have the opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. Just telling you, it changes your faith. And so you can be there in Jerusalem and know exactly where Bethany is, just outside of the city, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Nard, not lard. There is a difference there. An expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In case I forget it, that's the response of worship. I don't want you to forget that line. 
When, when we've truly encountered who God is and what he's done and we worship him, the whole area where we've been is just filled with the aroma of the worship of Jesus. Hmm. The whole area was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. I object. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Sound like a church person. It was a year's worth of wages, says the accountant, Judas. He does not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used him, help himself to what was put into it. And now we're getting a little behind the veil into his heart at what happened with the 30 pieces of silver and the story that most of the world knows about the betrayal of Judas. That, that was not the only time he had cheated. But then Jesus responds, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Again, just a side note here. So Lazarus was a witness. We have no recorded words of Lazarus in the gospel, but he was a witness. Because of what Jesus has done in his life, people were coming to see him. You say, a witness is not just something you do, it's who you are. You can be a witness. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray once more, and let's talk about this passage. Father, we need you to speak to us now. Jesus, we want this time to magnify honor and bring worship and glory to you. Holy Spirit, move amongst us freely giving us what we need that we don't have, teaching us new things that we've not learned, making us different. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart please you. And as we hear this story, Jesus, that you said must be told every time the gospel is remembered, may we see what our response must be to your commands. Lord, I pray that today somebody would enter the kingdom of heaven because of this time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now... We continue with our message. There's a lot here, but to really understand this, we need to look back to chapter 11. Chapter 11 begins with the second most well-known resurrection in human history, right? What's the first most well-known resurrection in human history? Jesus. If you're new here, just a reminder, I try to teach you, if I ask a question, 
in a message, there's a good chance you can just say Jesus and get it right. If you would have said it like everybody else just now, you'd have gotten it right. Jesus. Well, the second most well-known is Lazarus. Because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember the story. Chapter 11 begins at Mary, Martha, the friends of Jesus. And, and by the way, Jesus had a crew. Jesus had people he was close to. Some would have called it a clique. Even among the disciples, he did. And it caused a little controversy because he would always hang out with Pete, James, and John. Remember that? Even when he went to the garden, he had three people with him. In the hardest moments of his human life, he had three of his closest friends that he could call. You were not intended to go through life alone. That's one of the reasons the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together so that you might stir one another up in the encouragement of the Lord. That's the reason we need church. You're loco if you're going solo. Not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus had these friends, Mary and Martha. Their brother, Lazarus, got sick. He was near death. They called Jesus to come heal him. Jesus said, I'll be there. He didn't make it before he died. Lazarus died. Remember the story? Sometimes you've prayed out to God, you've cried out to Jesus, and he's not done things the way you want. I'm just reminded as I read this story, sometime when we ask Jesus for silver and he doesn't give us silver, it's because he wants to give us gold. He's got something better in mind. And so Jesus, the Bible says four days later, Jesus decides to go see them. His disciples said, why are you going now? The man's already dead. Jesus says, I'm going to wake him up. He said, no, 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 he's not asleep, he's dead. Jesus said, just watch this. Jesus goes and raises us from the dead. And, and then notice what happens after this. That's what I want you to see. Verse 44 of John 11. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everybody will believe in him. Imagine that. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, again, I've just got to stop and tell you what they're saying is something some of you who come to church don't understand. If you truly believe who Jesus is and what he's done, you can't help but believe in him. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest of that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man might die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, this is funny. This is Caiaphas, not a follower of Jesus. This is the high priest. We're going to learn about him because Jesus is going to go to Caiaphas' house, another place, maybe one of the most impactful places I've ever visited in Israel, is you can go to the place where we believe is actually Caiaphas' house and stand where Peter stood as they watched while Jesus was on trial and Caiaphas sent him to his death. So what was Caiaphas saying here? He was just saying, hey, let's get rid of him. That'll help things. He didn't know he was actually prophesying. Look at verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Let me just tell you something. Jesus always divides. And so when you look around our world and you listen to what we hear in our society that can't we all just get along and we just need to focus on love i I want you to understand we want to love god and we want to love others intentionally but if we love god 
we're going to understand that Jesus is always divisive. Isn't it interesting how people can experience the same thing and walk away with different responses? Ask any preacher you know if they understand that. You can preach a message and you can look out and you can see some person that's just raising their hand. They're praising the Lord. They're amening. They're crying. It looks like God's stirring. And then you have another person sitting in the same service and they send you an email about how upset they are about what you've said. That's always been the case. People can experience the same thing and give a different response. Some saw what Jesus had done and believed in him. Others saw and they plotted to kill him. They should have been throwing a party, but some of them were throwing a fit. That's still true today. Your response to Jesus is not based simply on the reality of who he is and what he's done. It also involves a receptivity of your heart and mind. You've got to decide whether or not you are going to be receptive to what Jesus wants to do in your life. Now, why is this the case? It's because you're either living for Jesus or you're living for yourself. That's the core issue between Christianity and every other world religion. Either you're in charge or you're saying, God, I'm going to give up control. And we don't like giving up control. When you choose to respond to God's grace and live for him, you give up control and that threatens us. So that's why from that day forward, they plotted to kill Jesus. One more thing. What I read about Caiaphas in verse 49, that's one of the most important theological truths in the Bible. Because do you know what it's talking about? We call that substitutionary atonement. What Caiaphas said when he said, hey, it's better for one man to die than for everybody to die. That was God's plan. Understand the gospel. The gospel is that because of nothing you've done, just because of who you are, just because you were born, you were sentenced to death because you were born a sinner separated from God. And that sin, if it's left undealt with, it's going to cause you to be separated from God forever. But God, in his love, in his mercy, in his justice, he decided it was better for one man to die than for all of you to die. And so Jesus died on the cross as our substitute. He was made atonement with God on our behalf. So chapter 12 is happening in the shadow that that's just happened. They're out to get Jesus. And so it begins by saying, now, six days before the Passover, there's a party. Matthew and Mark give it a little more light on the context of this story. This story is told in all four Gospels. But listen to Matthew 26, verses 6 and 7. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. So what Matthew and Mark also tells us is this takes place at the home of someone called Simon the leper. Now this is interesting because leprosy was a very contagious disease that caused you to be banished from society. So if you had leprosy, nobody wanted to be around you. So what do we know if Simon the leper is throwing a party? He didn't have leprosy anymore. He's been healed. And we know that Jesus healed people of leprosy. And so, just on a side note, why is it that we church people always like to refer to people by what they used to do that was bad? Why is it? Now, I know the, the gospels inspired by the Holy Spirit of God written down by these godly men, but, but why didn't it say Simon the former leper who Jesus healed? 
You know, why do we have to say so-and-so the divorcee or such-and-such the former addict? You know, we, we need to get to a place where we see people as God sees people. Man, when we do that, church, this room would be filled every week, two times, three times, four times to this capacity. Every campus would be filled because we would be reaching a community that needs the love of Jesus. So think about what this means. Simon, the former leper, is throwing a party. It's a gratitude party. (laughs) And he's looking around town and he's like, I wonder who else should come. I got an idea. What about the guy that was dead? So he invites Lazarus to the gratitude party to say thank you to Jesus. And when I hear that, I just think that's really what this should be. Every time we come together, it should be a gratitude party. I should come to worship and I should say, thank you, Jesus, for whatever reason. Outside of me, you gave me another day of life. You woke me up and put breath in my lungs this morning. You put food on my table. You put a roof over my head. You gave me a family. You saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Probably about 20 people present at this party. There's Simon, there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, there's Jesus. The disciples are there. We know that from the Gospels. There's probably some other family and friends. And everybody present responded in some way. What do you know about this party? Well, we read that Martha is doing what Martha normally does. What does Martha normally do? She's serving. There's no evidence she's complaining this time. One time she was serving and she went to Jesus and she said, hey, can you make Mary serve? She didn't do that. She just, she's serving. There's joy in serving. Lazarus, you know what Lazarus is doing? I told you he doesn't talk. <laughs> he's just sitting. He's probably just still thinking, whoa, I can't believe what happened. I mean, one minute I closed my eyes. The next minute I opened my eyes and there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking to David. Next minute my eyes are closed again. I opened my eyes and there's my sister's. Mary's there. He's selflessly gift. She's selflessly giving. She makes an extravagant gift to Jesus. And Jesus said, this gift is going to be remembered for the remainder of human history. But all of them were showing gratitude to Jesus. All of them were worshiping. That's what we should do. That's what I want you to get today. Every one of us, we should serve. We should just abide in the presence, practicing the presence of Jesus. We should give. But let's look a little deeper. In in fact, let's include Simon, since he's already got a little bit of a bad rap. Remember our one truth. The Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. And when Christians come together, we should throw a gratitude party. You ready to party? All right. How do we do that? Well, I heard John Maxwell say recently, what we appreciate, appreciates. In other words, what we value grows in value to us. So what what should we be valuing? What do we demonstrate through our attitudes and actions that show we value who Jesus is and what he's done? First of all, look at Simon. Simon gave Jesus a place. It's that simple. Without Simon, there wouldn't be a house to party in. This is where it all begins. You never understand the need for gratitude until you give Jesus a place in your life. And there's only one place he wants. You know what place he wants? 
the throne room. He wants to be in charge. He doesn't want to be prominent or prevalent. He wants to be preeminent. If you truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done, you'll have no hesitation asking Jesus to occupy your heart and your mind. But you've got to decide, are you ready to give up control? Will you give him the place he deserves? And so I just want to ask you, this is a, a, a big question. Have you given Jesus the place he demands in your life? Now, the first step to doing that is surrendering control of your life to, to who he is. That means there's a moment in your life where you've acknowledged you're a sinner. You believe Jesus did die on the cross for your sin. You've trusted what he's done as enough. You've received his forgiveness. And you've said, rest of my life, I want you in. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.